0: Welcome to the Beyond Advices Podcast. My name is Jan Dawson. This is our News Roundup episode for the week of the 3rd through 7th of April. Uh, my usual co-host Aaron Miller is traveling this week, and so I'm doing this one solo, so it'll be a slightly different format from usual. Should also make it slightly shorter because there won't be two of us discussing everything. Uh, if you've missed it, I, I earlier uploaded the other episode for this week, which is our question of the week, and the focus of that episode was on accessibility, and it's an interview with Chris Lewis, a former colleague of mine who works as an analyst and is also uh, registered blind in the UK and who uses a variety of accessibility technologies on different devices to help him get his job done and so on. And we mentioned him briefly a couple of weeks ago, but I did a an interview with him today, which we've published as a separate episode. So go check that out if you haven't already. But this will be the News Roundup episode. And we're going to be covering four pieces of news this week. One is really two separate pieces of news around Apple, first of which is yeah, partner Imagination Technologies announced that Apple has said it's working on its own GPU technology and the impact of that. Uh, and then secondly, Apple's announcements around Pro Max and its roadmap there. Second big news item is Comcast announcement of its Xfinity mobile service, uh, long-awaited move into the mobile space by Comcast. Thirdly is the introduction, or at least testing by Facebook, of the Rocket tab in the Facebook app, for want of a better word, which surfaces content not shared by friends, but which Facebook thinks users might be interested in. And then fourthly, Samsung's announcement of its preliminary results or forecast of results for Q1. So those will be the news topics that we'll cover. Uh, Well, let's start with the Apple news. And as I say, there are two separate items here, but it's worth covering them together. First, the imagination technologies, which makes the GPU, the graphic processing unit for iPhones, uh, announced earlier this week that Apple had notified it of its intent to build its own chips in this area, and that it would no longer need to rely on imagination's technology. And the timeline was a bit vague here, but it was basically a year and a half to two years away, suggesting that we're talking about the 2018 iPhones in the fall. Um, the second piece of news, as I said, was Apple announcing via a round table with a handful of reporters who cover Apple that it is working on new Mac Pros and new iMacs for the professional user community and providing something of a timeline around those. Just to take the GPU news first, um, this is really an unusual. And both of these news items actually involve Apple doing something unusual, in other words, talking about its future plans. In the first case, it's done it via imagination, which it must have known would have to release that information to its investors as a public company. In the second case, Apple spoke directly to reporters. But in both these cases, Apple has tipped its hand in terms of things that aren't coming for years or two years from now. Uh, So that's really what ties these two things together. On the GPU side, I'm sure Apple would rather have not had that news out there publicly, uh, but really had an obligation to its partner, Imagination Technologies, which in turn had an obligation to its shareholders to release that information. But this is... Something that's not entirely unexpected, Apple was said to be in talks to acquire Imagine Technologies, Imagination Technologies last year. Uh, those talks n- fell through and, and didn't the acquisition didn't happen. But since then, Apple has been acquiring or rather hiring a lot of employees from Imagination, uh, reportedly with a view to building its own GPU technology. Uh, and then secondly, uh, Apple obviously likes to own its own technology stack and has obviously done a lot of work in the A-series chips, which we've discovered it discussed in depth on a previous episode, and in other chips, W1, M1, various other chips that it's designed itself over the years. So clearly not completely unexpected for Apple to want to do the same thing with GPUs as well. The big question then becomes what would they be using those GPUs for? And there are obviously directly graphics-related tasks like AR and VR and so on, Uh, for which a GPU would be very helpful to the extent that we expect Apple to deepen its investment in AR and start to release some uh, features and so on around those areas in the next little while. This is a logical step. But GPUs have also been used by a lot of companies for machine learning and AI. They happen to be very well suited to that sort of very intensive processing that's required there. And to the extent that Apple likes to do a lot of the AI machine learning work on devices rather than Uh, in the cloud for privacy reasons, among others, Uh, it would make sense that it would want more powerful GPUs and more control over the GPUs. It's worth noting that Apple has long customized uh, the Imagination technology that it buys in, so it's not simply using off-the-shelf chips today. Uh, So it's already done a lot of customization work uh, and will likely just deepen its expertise in this area. Uh, Imagination in its statement sort of made a thinly-veiled... Threat that if Apple was to suddenly produce something that looks a lot like the imagination technologies chips that it would obviously be an infringement of copyright and would need to acquire or infringement of their patents on that technology would need to acquire the relevant licenses and so what remains to be seen is exactly how Apple will manage the IP side of this transition into making its own chips doesn't presumably own a lot of its own IP around GPUs. It's possible that some of its ARM licenses cover this area to some extent, uh, but it is possible it have to go back to imagination technologies and at least pay for some patents. So we'll see how that all pans out. The other bit of news, and really this is the bigger bit of news, um, simply because it's an area where there's been a lot of discussion, is, is this Mac news from Apple. And specifically, Apple had been expected to introduce new Macs. In the first half of this year, uh, when March went by without a major event and then Apple announced a new iPad and various other things in press releases, it became clear that we weren't going to get new Macs in the first half of the year. Some people were then thinking about potentially WWDC or a fall event or whatever. Um, But it turns out Apple isn't ready to produce new Mac Pros. And the big reason is that they essentially boxed themselves into a corner with the earlier Mac Pro, and that's something we've kind of suggested on earlier episodes of the podcast, that Apple had this new design which was innovative and so on at the time, but which basically made it impossible for users to upgrade those devices and also made it very difficult for Apple to radically change what the computers are capable of without a big change in the form factor. And so that's what I mean, and, and they've confessed this much as well, that they sort of boxed themselves into a corner. There are also some detailed technological reasons why the design doesn't really work from a thermal perspective with regard to GPUs specifically. Interesting, a second reference to GPUs here, we're talking now about Macs obviously, but GPUs are an increasingly important part of every part of Apple's product line essentially and uh, the previous trash can design with the Mac Pro really doesn't work very well with the way that uh, GPUs are being deployed today and the way they're being used for heavy Uh, duty tasks and so on so that was another issue but it seems that Apple's come to that conclusion only fairly recently and it's not clear whether it was planning to abandon the Mac Pro entirely or or which way it was planning to go but it's now clear that it is planning to completely revamp the Mac Pro which is going to take some time and means that we're not going to see a new Mac Pro this year On the one hand, that'll be disappointing for anybody who wanted to buy a new Mac Pro with better capabilities this year. On the other hand, at least Apple has now come out and said they're working on it. They're going to address the issues that people have raised. And there will be something probably next year, although they weren't specific about that. In the meantime, the iMac is getting a a big upgrade for the Pro community later this year. And I've mentioned this before, too, on the podcast, but I have several family members who work in video editing, all of whom use iMacs rather than Mac Pros at the moment. They're quite powerful at the high end with a 5K built-in display. Uh, They're also very good for 4K video editing and so on as well. And so that is what a lot of people are using in Apple. It sounds like plans to beef up that capability as well later this year, which means the Mac Pro, which is already a really niche product, it's probably low single digits of the total Mac uh, sales in terms of unit shipments, uh, is going to become even more so. I think the iMac will take over more and more of the tasks that the Mac Pro has historically done, and, and the new Mac Pro will be limited to a very small number of developers and uh, creatives and so on who really need that extra power. So it be interesting to see that happen. But really the most interesting thing is just Apple coming out and saying, we made a mistake here, uh, and finally recognizing that there's a lot of backlash at the moment, a lot of criticism of Apple at the moment about some of these issues, and that it needs to address those. I won't go into detail here about this whole thing, but uh, the Tech Narratives weekly narrative video this week will be on the the Apple is doomed narrative and how that changes as Apple comes out and makes this announcement. Does it make it better? Does it make it worse? Um, So we'll talk about that uh, in that video, which will be up later today as well. Uh, But in essence, I think there's a good thing from Apple. I think they've done the right thing here, communicating in this way, perhaps diffusing some of the criticisms, giving people a bit more clarity about the roadmap, It won't be exactly the news that a lot of people wanted to hear, uh, and they are uh, reducing the prices on some configurations of Mac Pros to kind of make up for some of this in the short term. Um, But the good news is Apple remains very committed to the pro space. They've clearly recognized that that's a, a part of the base that's small but very vocal and influential, and they need to keep them on board. So interesting news from Apple this week on those two fronts. And again, as with the other news that I'll discuss today, there will be links in the show notes and so on on the website and elsewhere to the Tech Narratives pieces where I've discussed each of these news items during the course of the week. Secondly, then Comcast announced Xfinity Mobile, its mobile service that's been in the works for a long time now. Uh, This is a mobile virtual network operator. In other words, Comcast doesn't own a mobile network. It will be using the Verizon network, which it has a deal to use as part of an agreement the company signed several years ago under which they were going to do some uh, bundling and co-marketing of certain services. Um, This is the outcome of that, and Comcast is now launching itself as a mobile operator off the back of Verizon's network. Uh, The key features here, pricing is interesting. It's it's a combination of unlimited and per-gigabyte pricing. Um, There are actually two pricing tiers for unlimited with a very aggressive pricing tier, for the top quarter or so of comcast's tv user base so those customers that spend the most money already with comcast will actually get a better deal 45 dollars a month per line for unlimited data Whereas other customers will get $65 a month, so $20 more per month, which is still relatively competitive with other operators out there, but not as aggressive as that $45 price point. Uh, For a lot of users, though, the per gigabyte option will be more attractive because if you use five gigabytes or less, which about 70% of us do, uh, then you can... Uh, by the per gigabyte rate at $12 per gigabyte per month. And so if you use three, for example, you pay $36. If you use five gigabytes, you pay $60 a month, both of which would be cheaper than that $65 unlimited that most people are going to be able to get. Importantly, uh, the service is only going to be sold to people who are already Comcast broadband customers. So if you don't live in a Comcast service area, or if you do but you're a Verizon or AT&T or CenturyLink customer for broadband, Uh, then you won't be eligible to buy these services even when they become available in the next uh, few weeks and months. So that's worth noting. One thing that Comcast had sort of talked about a lot ahead of time and also talked about during its event was Wi-Fi. Comcast has 16 million Wi-Fi hotspots. It's the largest Wi-Fi hotspot provider in the U.S. But it's really important to break down that 16 million number. And we finally got some clarity about this on the uh, announcement call Uh, 15 million of those are basically in people's homes. So where Comcast has a router in your home to provide you with your home broadband, they also put a Wi-Fi hotspot uh, that has the SSID Xfinity Wi-Fi, which any other Comcast customer can tap into. Uh, So 15 million of those, 16 million, are those types of residential hotspots. And those obviously don't do you much good uh, when you're out and about, when you're on the train, on the bus, traveling into town, Uh, commuting to work uh, on the weekends, uh, going shopping or anything like that. Those are really useless unless you're in your own home or somebody else's home. Uh, So really, we have to focus on the other 1 million. And of those, a lot of them are are located at small businesses who are Comcast customers. And then there are others that are truly sort of public hotspots. Uh, But the idea is that these uh, phones that will be sold, and it will be iPhones, Samsung Galaxy S phones, and some LG phones, uh, that you'll be able to use on the Comcast service, they'll be pre-configured such that they hop onto that Xfinity Wi-Fi automatically and use that for data rather than using the LTE uh, Verizon network. Uh, and that should help people use less data uh, and, uh, and so on. That's a value proposition. As I say, I think it's slightly overblown. Uh, the reality is that these Wi-Fi hotspots are mostly in residential areas and not in the places where people spend time. Wi-Fi is also terrible if you're on the move because you have to keep hopping from one hotspot to the next. Comcast made the argument that Wi-Fi is much faster than LTE. That simply isn't true anymore. There was a time in in the days of 3G where uh, going into Starbucks and using the Wi-Fi was a relief, because you got much faster broadband through the DSL connection that was backing that Wi-Fi hotspot. The reality is today LTE can be really very fast. It can be uh, 10 megasecond, it could be 50 megasecond, depending on where you are. Wi-Fi, if it's backed by DSL, which many of these still are, if it's backed by even cable modem service from Comcast, it is often going to be slower, especially because it's often heavily uh, congested and contended between lots of users. And so this argument that Wi-Fi is faster and therefore better doesn't hold as much water as perhaps it once did. The other interesting thing is that there are other services out there like Google Fi and Republic Wireless, which heavily rely on Wi-Fi, uh for offloading traffic from the network they also do that for calling and for now the comcast service doesn't use wi-fi for voice calls it only uses it for data Uh, so there won't be any benefit there in terms of uh hopping off the network for voice calls for better quality or for anything else but you know all of comcast plans are actually unlimited when it comes to voice and texting so that's not really such a big deal from a from a cost savings perspective um scale is another important thing so uh Comcast is obviously a bigger company and uh, with many more customers than the average mobile virtual network operator. We've seen a lot of MVNOs in the past that have really struggled because they don't have distribution, they don't have a brand, they don't have a uh, uh, retail network, they don't have any of that stuff. And Comcast obviously has about 25 million broadband customers, uh, 29 million overall customer relationships, including those who only take TV, for example. Uh, and so it's a massive brand, massive distribution network, both online online and through a few hundred stores that they have, which they're going to be upgrading to sell these mobile services. They do tons of direct marketing to people's homes, which you'll know if you live in a Comcast area. And so... They're going to have very low customer acquisition costs relative to most mobile operators. Uh, They're also only going to allow you to pay your bill through an auto-billed credit card, so they won't have any of the bad debt and debt collection expenses that a lot of operators have to deal with. There's always a few percent of of customers that are in in bad debt situations, and that's a risk and an expense that your average mobile operator has to deal with that they largely won't have to, especially because they have those existing customer relationships they know these are people who do pay their bill every month. Um, one other thing that's worth mentioning is the unlimited plans that Comcast offer are, are even less unlimited than some of the other carriers' plans. So AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, T-Mobile all have unlimited plans. When you go over a certain limit, typically in the sort of high 20s gigabytes per month, um, they will throttle your service if the network is congested. If it's not congested, they'll let you keep using it just as before. Uh, Comcast service caps out at 20 Uh, gigabytes a month uh, on the unlimited plan whether or not there's congestion so that's a bit different Um, so it's really a 20 gigabyte plan essentially it gets throttled down to a much slower speed at that point so it's a 20 gig plan so anybody considering this plan should should bear that in mind this isn't true unlimited it's it's a very limited form of unlimited that they're selling here overall it's worth thinking about you know what impact this is going to have as i say comcast has 25 million broadband customers They're only rolling the service out to employees for now, and we'll slowly start rolling it out to regular customers after that. Uh, But even once they get going, you know, that's the addressable market is those 25 million broadband customers, you know, all of whom essentially have wireless service somewhere else already. These are low churn services, you know, the big wireless services see 1% churn a month. Uh, you know, people generally hold on to these services that they have for a very long time. So, you know, the best thing Comcast can probably hope for in the short to medium term is maybe 10% penetration of its base. That's obviously going to be very useful additional revenue for them. But if you look at that in the context of the overall wireless market, that's two and a half million customers. Well, the market added that many customers in the last quarter alone. And so, you know, this isn't going to make a massive dent in the overall size of the, uh, the U.S. mobile market. Uh, you know it's going to take a few customers here and then for there from the other carriers and of course market growth is slowing but this isn't going to be massively disruptive in the market it's going to be an interesting new entrant to be sure uh, but it's not going to be massively disruptive and uh, one of the other interesting angles and this is kind of shared between AT&T and Comcast is this idea of bundling across TV and wireless uh, and this is the last thing I'll say about this particular news item but um, there's been bundling of wireless and wireline services for years, and it's never been very popular. Uh, but what these companies are doing now is targeting those bundles at the most attractive customers. So Verizon, sorry, excuse me, AT and T is doing a lot of bundling between its unlimited wireless service that they reintroduced recently and Direct TV service, because customers that take both of those are spending hundreds of dollars a month. And when people bundle, they tend to have lower churn as well. And Comcast is very much banking on the same thing, that as people bundle these services, not only does their monthly bill go up considerably, but they will have lower churn. And because the monthly bill is so high, it's worth uh, investing in customer acquisition. It's worth discounting a little because over the course of that contract, the customer lifetime value is very high for those customers. And so you can do things for those customers that you can't do for every customer necessarily. And So that's why you see this aggressive discounting. At AT&T, it's, it's discounting TV. At Comcast, it's that $45 unlimited price point for its top quarter um, TV customers, for example. So that's a common sort of calculus both these companies are making. And we'll see more of this going forward. And that obviously raises interesting questions about Sprint and T-Mobile who don't have landline or tv offerings raises an interesting question about uh, dish tv who doesn't have a wireless offering and whether we're going to need to see some consolidation and now that the big spectrum auction is over and the quiet period will be lifted soon we're going to see a lot of discussions between various players in that market on the satellite tv side and the cable tv side on the wireless side about potential mergers to try to address some of these issues and position themselves better for that kind of bundling so that kind of concludes the discussion about Comcast's mobile service. Two more news items to talk about. First up, Facebook is testing a new tab in its mobile app. It's uh, signified by a little rocket icon. There's no obvious connection between that and what it does, but that's the, the symbol that's being used for now. Uh, this builds off something I talked about a couple of months ago in a Tech Pinions post, which is, Again, was inspired by something that Mark Zuckerberg said on the Facebook earnings call. On the call, he talked about some of their AI technology and how they're getting better and better at understanding the content of video shared on Facebook and what that content is. Even if the description isn't very good, they can tell what's in that video and therefore uh, try to match it up with other videos that people have liked so that they could show it to people uh, who they think might be interested in it. Uh, this is something they've been doing with text, with photos and so on for ages now. Uh, But so far, Facebook has still largely shown you content on uh, Facebook, which is shared by your friends. Um, And I've made the argument before that Facebook is becoming less and less of a social network, more and more of a content hub. It just so happens that the filter on that content is things that have been shared by your friends or liked by your friends. Um, That's starting to, to change now. And so this Rocket tab surfaces content that Facebook thinks you might be interested in uh, that's been shared on Facebook, but not by your friends. In other words, they're decoupling the content hub side from the social side and saying, we think you'll like this, whether or not your friends have actually shared it. And I've seen this already in the main news feed. I'm seeing videos now that are like videos I've I've watched or saved before. Uh, and But this Rocket tab now shows users lots of different types of content, whether it's articles or video or whatever, Uh, that users' friends have not shared. It's just coming from elsewhere in the Facebook community. And that's really important because that's a transition for Facebook uh, towards being, as I say, a content hub. And essentially it takes off the limits in terms of what Facebook can show you. They can show you a much wider range now of content than they could before because they're no longer limited by what your friends have shared. And so using their algorithms, using their AI to actually detect what's in photos and videos and so on, they can match new content to what you've liked before. They can show you a lot more stuff, which, of course, is designed to keep you on the site for longer. Uh, Spending more time there, engaging with stuff more, enjoying it more, which in turn then allows them to show you more ads and so on. Uh, which is their core objective. And so this is an interesting shift for Facebook. It's a subtle one for now, uh, but it also goes along with what they've done recently with creating a video app for the Apple TV and for other TV platforms, which is also largely about recommendations. And again, mostly of stuff that your friends haven't shared. So this is an important departure for Facebook, something we're going to see more of, and again, a powerful way for them to get you to spend more time uh, and advertisers to spend more money on the service. Last news item then is Samsung's preliminary results. I've seen quite a few headlines which, again, tie this into the Note 7 uh, disaster from late last year. Um, Talking to Samsung people, they are so frustrated at this point about the Note 7 and how it just keeps cropping up even though all that has been dealt with now. They're moving on and they just wish reporters would move on. And yet so many of the headlines about Samsung's preliminary guidance for Q1 results uh, is about bouncing back from the Note 7. The reality is Samsung has already bounced back from the Note 7. They had one really bad quarter in Q3 where they took most of the loss and the revenue hit from the Note 7 recall. Q4 was already one of their best quarters ever. It was their best quarter for profits. It was one of their best quarters for revenue for quite some time. And uh, so this is just a false narrative that, that Q1 is somehow them bouncing back from this. They bounce back very strongly in Q4 and Q1 looks like being more of the same. That's the more accurate way to put this. Having said that, uh, and Samsung doesn't provide details in its preliminary guidance on where the revenue or profits are coming from in terms of business segments, Uh, in Q4 what really drove those very strong results was not the mobile business but their components business, their semiconductors business, which provides components for their own phones but also for third-party phones including the iPhone. And it's that business that really drove strong results in Q4. It's by far their most profitable business. It's not as big as the mobile business at the moment, but it uh, contributes an outsized percentage of their operating profits because it's such a profitable segment for them. And it's very likely that it's that segment and not mobile phones that will be the big contributor to profits in Q1 as well. And that's important for them because in the smartphone business, they continue to be somewhat stagnant. Uh, The S8 that they're launching this year should do well. It looks like a really interesting phone, really compelling phone. We talked about that last week. Uh, But that obviously doesn't play into those Q1 results. It won't start to kick in until Q2, given that it doesn't launch until this month. And so um, this is really about the components and semiconductors business at, at Samsung. And that's an important hedge to that mobile business. It's an important new opportunity. And it's going to become an increasingly... A significant contributor to their overall results because that's going to continue to grow even as they continue to struggle to grow their smartphone business overall so that's going to be an important thing to, to watch for when Samsung releases its final results a few weeks from now when we get into earning season proper and all the big companies start reporting their results which of course we'll be covering at the time. So again, just to wrap up, those four news items, the Apple GPU and Mac announcements, the Comcast Xfinity mobile announcement, the Facebook Rocket tab and what that signifies, and then uh, the Samsung preliminary results. These are, again, all things that I've covered on the Tech Narratives site this week. Uh, This is actually the last week that access to Tech Narratives will be free, as I've said from the beginning, and we announced this when uh, we did the episode on narratives back in, uh, I think, January it was. Uh, this is going to have a paywall, and that paywall will be going to affect next week. So um, you can read all these articles, and I have links to them in the show notes uh, for free today. But you can also sign up as a subscriber on the Tech Narratives website. There's a subscribe tab in the menu, uh, and you can get a 30 day free trial. So even if you're not convinced it's something you want to pay for going forward, you can get a free trial there for 30 days. Uh, and then if you decide you're not getting value out of it, you can cancel before the 30 days are up, and you will never be charged. If, on the other hand, you do find value in it, then obviously I'd welcome you as a subscriber. And as always, we'd welcome your feedback as well on, on the content, on the site, and the features. And there are some new features for paid subscribers that would be worth looking at as well. So we'll have links to all of this again on the website. And next week, we should be back to our usual format with, uh, with Aaron and myself discussing the news and the News Roundup episode. And we should be back with a new Question of the Week episode next week as well. So thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. And talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.